Welcome back to OA On Air. I'm Ann Murphy, filling in this week for Kayan Isaacson. We have a great show for you this week. In 321 Go, Cosmo and I discuss news and politics with a special guest appearance by Ken Casey of the Dropkick Murphys. Then I sit down with Brian McDonald and Jackie Sheridan of the National Braille Press. They talk about the recent acquisition of the Princeton Braillist maps. And finally, in Two Minutes with Tom, CEO Tom O'Neill and I talk about Rudy Giuliani's statement that truth isn't truth. First up, three, two, one, go. Let's talk about something important. Hello and welcome to 321GO on OA On Air, where each week we take a brief but purposeful look at three important topics in the world of public affairs, business, government, culture, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321GO, First Lady Melania Trump is part of a nationwide campaign against cyberbullying, but she's married to America's number one cyberbully, the president. We'll talk about this paradox on Pennsylvania Avenue. And you probably know Ken Casey is the founder of the legendary Boston band, the Dropkick Murphys. But Casey's also a strong advocate for and promoter of the sport of boxing in Boston. And now he's helping stage one of the biggest pro fight cards the city has seen in years. We'll talk to him. Finally, Boston considers itself a real foodie community with great and diverse restaurants, old and new, as well as its fair share of celebrity chefs. So how come we can't win a restaurant award? We'll discuss. Joining me here on 321GO is Ann Murphy, stepping in this week for the vacationing Cayenne Isaacson. Ann, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here on 321GO. Okay, let's get to it. So, Melania Trump, First Lady, she is uh, engaged in an anti-cyberbullying initiative. And the best way to introduce this topic is, is to steal from the Washington Post analysis, which said, what if Ronald Reagan was snorting cocaine while Nancy Reagan was recording a, ju- a, a just say no PSA? And, and that's kind of what we're talking about here, because who's America's number one cyber bully? The president of the United States. What do you think? I mean, I just can't even believe it. Every time I hear the story about her efforts, which are noble to combat cyberbullying, I just see it in a twisted way. It's that her act of defiance by the first lady against her own husband's boorish behavior. I think it's just like, I'm going to keep doing my thing. Although that probably isn't the motivation, but I'm hoping it is. So while the first lady was actually participating in this 90-minute summit, at, like at that very time, he was cyberbullying former CIA director John Brennan, calling him a hack. It's you know literally while she's she's engaged in this, he's 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 added on Twitter and whatever else. It's uh, it's it's pretty remarkable. I mean, can you see their pillow talk, uh, Donald? <laughs> why did you do that, Melania? I can I have the First Amendment rights, but it's just like it, it's just amazing to me that anyone that you would have a relationship with, even a cordial relationship with, you couldn't kind of. Uh, encourage them to be a little bit more sensitive. You know, um, <clears throat> I guess he's trying to get more diplomatic. Here are, here's, here are some of his tweets, or just some of the greatest hits from his tweets. Omarosa, dog, wacky, vicious, nasty, loser. Uh, John Dean, rat. The media, sick, fake, disgusting, enemy of the people. 
uh, Brennan, the former CIA director, loudmouth, partisan, political hack. Senator Richard Blumenthal, loser. Senate Minority Leader Charles Schumer, haywire. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, incompetent, really dumb. I like that one, really dumb. The, I mean, this is the President of the United States, and, and I've said it before, I think the fact that he communicates every day directly to the American people is actually a pretty amazing thing that, that, that future presidents probably need to be held to. But my goodness, my dial goodness. it down, buddy. Certainly. I mean, when she spoke in her words of reducing bullying through kindness and open communication. Yes, the kindness one is something he is lacking. Okay, we all want open communication, but it has to be the right communication, not bullying communication. Yeah, I wonder if this is, I think others have wondered, is, is this some sort of way for her in code to try to speak to her husband or coach to him to say, hey, settle down, you know, by, by participating in this uh, in this anti-bullying campaign. Can we just take his phone? Can't you just take take his phone and throw it in the toilet or something like that? I don't know. <laughs> All right. That's Melania Trump, first lady, cyber anti-cyberbullying advocate, married to and living with the number one cyberbully in America. We sat down this week with Ken Casey of the Dropkick Murphys. Ken's also a longtime fan of the sport of boxing, strong advocate, supporter, promoter, and in fact is promoting one of the biggest, if not the biggest, pro boxing events in the city of Boston in more than a dozen years, maybe 15 years. We spoke to Ken Casey about this, this event, October 20th, coming up, big press conference on Friday, August 24th, to unveil a world championship boxing card slated for October 20th at the TD Garden in Boston, promoted by Murphy's Boxing Promotions at Ken Casey of the world-famous Dropkick Murphys. We talked to him right here. So, Ken Casey, you are a big advocate for and now promoter of the sport of boxing in Boston. Uh, I want you to talk about that a little bit um, because it's something you've been very passionate about along with your music and your other interests. Uh, tell me how you got involved and, and, and what you're trying to do with Murphy's Boxing Promotions. So we started Murphy's Boxing about, oh man, about seven years ago now, and I've always been a huge boxing fan, um, always been around the sport, but, you know, and, and, and I think my years of experience being in the band, especially a band of our nature that was really always on our own record label, kind of self, you know, never had like the machine behind us, we were always a do-it-yourself thing, you know, and, um, you know, uh, a friend of mine uh, is a professor pro fighter Danny O'Connor. He was a 2008 uh, Olympic alternate in Beijing. Um, great, you know, won the national amateur championship twice. Um, just, you know, real standout fighter. He's currently 30 and three as a pro. And um, at the time, I think he had just lost his first fight. He was 14 and one. He had just had his first child. And I'm saying, man, you're an Olympian. And I watch how hard you work, not only in the ring, but then you have to be you know, out trying to sell tickets and trying to hustle to promote yourself. And I said, I, th I, I think I can help you. And I really was just going to do nothing more than kind of use social media as a tool to the Dropkick Murphys fans, who I know a lot of them like boxing. And so that offer uh, led to be coming as manager, then as promoter, and now promoting, oh man, a lot of other fighters. I just had... Um, my first fighter won a world title in Japan uh, last weekend. Uh, 
the IBF um, Bantamweight World Championship. TJ Doheny is his name. And another fighter, Greg Vendetti from Stoneham, Mass, uh, won a huge fight against uh, a guy that he was not supposed to beat on ESPN last uh, um, Saturday night. I have um, Gary Spike O'Sullivan from Ireland fighting in the co-feature September 15th on the on the biggest pay-per-view card of the year, Canelo Alvarez versus Gennady Golovkin, and um, the winner of his fight will fight the winner of that fight. Sure. So, you know, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of snowballed to somewhere I didn't see it going, you know. And um, uh, But, you know, there's the big players in the sport, and I partner well with a lot of them. And one of the big players is Matchroom Promotions, who is just, you know, boxing in England and in Ireland and Scotland is just so massive. Um, one of the uh, heavyweights that Matchroom promotes Anthony Joshua regularly sells, you know, 100,000 tickets to his fights. And um, so it's a very big deal. And, and Matchroom has just done a new deal um, with the Zone streaming network, DAZN, which I, is kind of like the, uh, the sports version of Netflix. And it's very popular in Europe, but just launching in America. And uh, so uh, Matchroom is coming to America to do, I think, maybe six to eight shows a year. And, um, you know, I've partnered with them in Boston for this show. I have a, a bunch of my fighters. Danny O'Connor uh, himself is on the card. And the last time there was boxing at the, the TD Garden was Danny O'Connor as the main event. We sold 8,000 tickets. And now he's fighting, uh, you know, middle of the show. This is such a big show. There's three world title fights on the show. I, um, I also have Mark DeLuca, who is hugely popular in the, in the area of Boston area of boxing. He's from Whitman, Mass. He's 21 and one as a pro. He, he's a Marine Corps, um, Afghan veteran and Danny O'Connor is actually Framingham fire. And, um, then I also have a guy by the name of Niall Kennedy, who's a heavyweight from Ireland, 10 and 0. And he's actually a a policeman in uh, Wexford Island. So we have a military fire and police on the show. And with that, we're going to tie in a whole first responder theme where we raise money for first responder related charities through the Boston Bruins foundation. And we also are going to offer discounted tickets and group group sales for first responders and their families. So um, it should be a good event. And, And the main event for that is Providence, Providence, Rhode Island's Demetrius Andrade, who is a Olympian himself, a uh, two-time world champion at 154 pounds. He's coming up to the 160-pound middleweight division, which is just a much more lucrative division at this time, and he's um, challenging the current WBO world champion, Billy Joe Saunders from England, who is uh, he's crazy. He's all over the news all the time doing crazy stuff. He's a great fighter, but, uh, you know, I think he just showed up at a, at a weigh in the other day and threw a full chicken at a guy <laughs> to stir the pot. So <laughs> I he's saw, always, yeah. man, no such yeah, thing, no such thing character. as bad, no such thing as bad publicity. You know, you know, that's what I yeah, always say. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, no, exactly. it's, it, I mean, that, that, so that's the top of the card. And then you've got maybe two of the most exciting female boxers in boxing right now. Uh, from Ireland, Katie Taylor, and then Brooklyn-based Cindy Serrano. She's WBO, I think, featherweight champion. That's a, a, a terrific uh, match, uh, a, 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 a terrific fight that ought to generate a lot of excitement, too. I mean, Katie Taylor is not much of a step below Conor McGregor when you talk about, you know, popularity. And, 
in Ireland and Katie probably even more so in the sense that, you know, McGregor is, you know, Taylor was a, a multi Olympic, uh, medalist over in, in several different games, you know, um, over, you know, more than one Olympic, um, year. And she's a two-time world champion. They just revere her like, and she's just a great, you know, kind of human being and role model. And people just love that girl. And she's never fought in Boston. So this is, that alone could be a main event with the, you know, the way the Irish will come out for her and that they'll travel and, and Cindy Serrano is, is unbelievable fighter and by far the toughest fight Kate, uh, Katie Taylor will, will have ever had. So it's, it's pretty to have those two fights on top and then to have arguably, you know, guys like O'Connor and DeLuca that could probably half fill that building on their own. You know, O'Connor already has, um, it's it's pretty and, and and they're all in very very tough fights. A lot of times when you see a boxing card, you know you see two or three fights that are evenly matched on top, and then the, the lower fights are you know up and comers that are just trying to build their record. But this is, you know, first of all the difference between streaming and versus say an HBO, where they'd only cover the main event or maybe the main event and co-feature. You know, every fight is shown on this. So, sure. you know, basically saying to these fighters. Listen, if you want this primetime massive exposure, you know, um, every fight on this show might as well be considered, you know, main event caliber. So um, people people get a start to finish experience like they've never seen. And if you've never been to live boxing, I, I got to tell you, it is there's nothing like it. Nothing like especially the way it's shaping up now. It looks like the card will basically be all English or Irish versus Americans. So, you know, you get that whole kind of theme of uh, England yeah. versus England versus America. And then there are a few Irish versus America too. But um, so there's a real theme to it as well, which is very cool. It's a great storyline. You mentioned that your fighter, Danny O'Connor, was in your last match in Boston. I, I, I feel like I want to say this is easily the biggest championship boxing show in Boston in X number of years. And that X might be, you know, eight or 10, right? It's, it's a long time. Oh no, no, it's, I'll go way farther than that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the last, the last big, big, big fight was probably 15, 18 years ago when Ricky Hatton fought here on HBO. And that was not even, you know, he's a guy from England and he was fighting a guy from New York. I mean, this is, yeah, you know, Demetrius being from Providence. Um, I, I, I could go say that the, we could be going back to the '80s since it was a fight of this, you know, caliber. And I mean, you've had, you know, you've had the whether it's um, you know uh, a John Ruiz or you know you've had big names come come out of here. Um, you know, there's other people that have done some some great stuff, um, but to have like I said, a top to bottom card like this with multiple world titles. And, you know, it's, um, it's definitely something that I've never seen before. What's it like having, uh, you, you know, you have a stable of fighters and, and so a couple of things, just what, what's that like? I, I imagine it's like a family atmosphere, but also just kind of tactically, you've got all the management responsibilities. I, I don't know. Are you affiliated with, with a certain gym or, or, or multiple facilities? That's a whole operation no. in addition yeah, I mean, to what you're doing, you know, elsewhere. Oh, of course. Well, it's, it's all, um, 
you know, the fighters are at different gyms with different trainers, but, you know, I'm responsible for trying to get them X amount of fights a year. I have to, you know, get them rated with the, the sanctioning bodies because, you know, you can't get a world title fight until you're of a certain ranking and jockeying for some of these smaller belts to fight for that get you those ratings. And, um, you know, I, I would make the comparison of a fighter choosing to go with Murphy's boxing. And it's like, we're like the boat boutique outfit you know what i mean like you can try to sign with the big guys and if you are the apple of one of the big guys eyes then boy you're the golden goose but it's hot it's easy to get lost in the shuffle whereas you know i probably only have 12 fighters and i treat them like family and i'm pushing for them you know because you know that was done for me too in business like with, with matter of fact today is the one year anniversary of the band's um you know, agent, our international agent that does Europe and the rest of the world other than America. And his name was Dave Chumley. And he was this guy that, you know, took us on when he had nobody as small as we did. And he just fought for us like a pit bull. And, um, you know, he passed away a year ago today. And, you know, we just, we have such fond memories and gratitude for him. And, 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 you know, sometimes you need those type of people in your corner. And, and I think we try to champion, you know, the, not to say the smaller names because I'm lucky enough to actually have some really big names in boxing. But, you know, I think that people know that we're going to, we're going to really kind of take pride in the job and treat them like family. It's terrific. Ken Casey of the world famous dropkick Murphy's now promoting world championship boxing here in Boston. October 20th is the event. This, but uh, Friday, August 21st, 4th, excuse me, is the big, uh, press conference, uh, sort of unveiling the card. Should be pretty exciting at Faneuil Hall Marketplace. Um, Ken, thanks so much for joining us on the OA On Air. This is a huge event, uh, and we're really, really excited to be talking to you about it today. Uh, thanks for helping us spread the word. I appreciate it very much. All right, thank you. If you live in and around Boston and you think we have a terrific food scene, a lot of people would agree with you, but, but, but some people wouldn't. Now, recently, Bon Appetit magazine named its 2018 Restaurant City of the Year, Portland, Maine, certainly very New England, very not Boston, however. Two weeks earlier, Eater had released its annual 18 Best New Restaurants in America, nothing from the Boston area on that list. Additionally, Boston was not represented in Food & Wine's annual Restaurants of the Year, or best new chefs package. Now, and we consider ourselves, I believe, kind of a classic foodie community, right? After all, it is the it was the home of the famed the original celebrity chef Julia Child. Um, but we're not making these lists, and I guarantee that's feeding into the identity complex that Bostonians tend to get when we're compared to other cities. What do you think? This, to me, smacks of such pretentiousness on the part of Bon Appetit. Sorry about that. But, oh, Boston, yes, we don't have, an, let's have another restaurant with $100 meals that you can't even figure out what you're eating. Boston has great restaurants. Boston has great chefs. And I just think it's a little bit of, well, let's just ignore them because we're going to go to the little favorite child now, the Portland main scene, which I love Portland. But I think Boston has, has tons of great restaurants. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you 100%, and I eat out a fair amount. I, I don't do a lot of fine dining eating out, but some. And I watch a lot of food television, like Food Network, particularly while I'm cooking, right? It's, it's, oh, yeah. it's kind of makes I it fun. I love right? those shows. 
I gotta tell you, other than like diners, drive-ins, and dives, the city is not well represented in the national food media and food entertainment scene either. And, and it's uh, maybe even though the, the the city is filled with uh, um, restaurant PR people, maybe we're not doing enough of a public relations campaign nationwide. You know, as part of the whole tourist package, because obviously Boston is one of the top tourist destinations in America. But the food scene just is not getting the love it deserves. I just, I just don't know why. Hey, you know what I say? Ignore the slight to all you Boston foodies and people who are going to visit Boston. Durgan Park, here I come. Surly waiters and waitresses. Give me the Indian pudding, although that's not all there is to eat in Boston. But you know what? we got to go with what we have in our strengths. Seafood fresh ingredients from the local farms. We do have it all. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I do think that sometimes maybe we fall into this trap of embracing the stereotypes, lobster, chowder, beans, you know, con, uh, con a cob. But, I, I, you know, we have terrific fine dining uh, and all kinds of options at, 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 at different kind of price points and different types of foods and different styles. Uh, it's, it's, the city's got a great food scene. Maybe we need uh, better restaurant PR and a, and a, and a, and a better sort of food uh, uh, nationwide publicity campaign. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. All right. 321 Go is recorded in Studio 10A, just off the historic Tip O'Neill Room at our building in the heart of Government Center, Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Macero. That's all for 321GO. Now, my interview with the National Braille Press on the Princeton Brailleists. With me today, I'm very special guest. We have very special guest, Brian McDonald, president of the National Braille Press, and Jackie Sheridan, vice president of operations. Welcome to our podcast. Well, thanks, Thank Anne. you. Well, I think we should just let our listeners know, first of all, give us a quick overview, Brian, if you will, of the National Braille Press and what you do there. Sure. Well, we're a nonprofit, first of all. Um, our mission and focus is on producing Braille materials to, that support Braille literacy for children, and we do books, including original content for adults for lifelong learning, books on technology, leisure, cooking, all kinds of activities. And we have a big educational component that does tests and textbooks as well for children. And it also includes tactile graphics, which are raised images for blind and low vision people to feel a graph or bar chart or some kind of image from a book. I think this is what we really would like to delve into today because it's, you have an amazing new collection uh, called the Princeton Brailleless Collection. Uh, can you tell us how that the Braille Press came to collect this collection? Yeah, it started probably about eight years ago. One of, one of our trustees, Paul Paravano, told us about this amazing map collection and it was based in Princeton. And um, I actually um, made a call to reach out to them because we were curious about it and spoke to um, Nancy Amick. And as it turned out, we were planning to go to Educational Testing Service in Princeton for a meeting. So our intent was to go to ETS and then after the meeting, visit them on the way back from the airport. And unfortunately, our meeting went so long, we never did connect with them at that time. Um, and, and we never did connect in person. And, and then she passed away in uh, 2016. So um, I reached out to Jim, her husband, and um, we had a conversation. And then 
we were invited to meet with them, and I think there was a really good connection with them, his, his uh, daughter Damaris and Jim both. Um, I think our respect for the collection, our interest in it, and a personal connection too, that they decided we, they wanted us to be the stewards of the collection. So, uh, Jackie, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what kind of maps and other materials are in this Princeton Brailleist collection. So it's a it's an assortment of things. It's um, I think there's probably almost forty books that are actually complete that are map collections. So that includes maps um, of the United States and different countries, but also maps of individual states in the U.S. And they do incorporate. Um, it's mostly um, geographical features. So things like states or, um, sorry, excuse me, cities or um, state boundaries, rivers, types of things like that, um, not necessarily state highways. Um, but they do have a lot of information, and they're very dense, so they're 30, 40 pages each. Um, we also have other materials, including um, one of the best sellers is a basic human anatomy book that was created, so a lot of people are ordering that to kind of get to know um, a little bit more about the human anatomy. Um, and then the other part of the collection that um, we are not selling currently, but we're looking to um, utilize more, are um, is an extensive um, an extensive collection of science um, and math images, um, and they range from phase of the moon to landforms to um, mitosis, um, all sorts of subject matter which we can actually repurpose or hoping to repurpose into something that can be used in books for students in high school or um, tactile graphic kits for kids learning about certain science, science subjects, things like that. So, so these uh, maps and other materials, how are the blind and visually impaired people, how do they use them? Do they use them when they're traveling? Do they use them for school? A little bit of everything. So I think I think mainly it's traveling. A lot of people are calling us asking for maps of their own home state because they want to know a little bit more about what where things are geographically. Um, they're calling us for maps for other countries so that they when they go they can be prepared and know the different regions of the countries that type of thing. So it's kind of just you know the, any any way that we would buy a map, the blind and visually impaired users are buying it for the same reason. And are there any other uh, sources for this type of maps? This really aren't right. This is really one of the only sources. Well. For for maps of this caliber, no. There, I mean, there. These um, took many many years for Nancy Emick to create, um, and they're extremely detailed um, and beautiful. They're works of art, really. Um, so I'd say no. Um, certainly, people can create them if they had the time. But um, the Prince of Brelis are really special because they did put so much effort into creating these to begin with. No. How are they selling? Are people responding to it? I know you've had them out there for a little bit, little bit of time. So are people buying them? Yeah, so that's a good question because before um, we acquired it, the Prince umbrellas weren't really marketing. So there was no, um, there was no mechanism for them to get the information out into the world that they were actually selling these. So it was really by word of mouth. Um, we have actually started to promote these now that we have them in house. And so far, we've just we've sold just under 215 maps since we started selling them. I think we started selling them fully back in February. Mm -hmm. um, right now, the biggest sellers are the tact, uh, the tactile human anatomy, um, and then um, the outline maps of the world. So those are basically just outline maps of different parts of the globe. And uh, where are, where are the people located who are buying them? Are they really like kind of spread out all over? I think most of our sales are within the United States. We are, we are getting international orders as well. So, I just think it's so interesting, and I did 
get a chance to visit the National Braille Press and see the printing press in the areas of the um, where you're making these maps. It's just so fascinating, and they really are beautiful to behold, to look at them uh, and to just cut, touch them and feel like that these are really high quality. Um, for Brian now, uh, are there any equivalent technology solutions for blind people to utilize maps and charts, or this is really the best solution for them? Nothing can compare, as Jackie said, to the detail involved with these maps. Uh, they even fold out with much, you know, lots of legends and content and, and all kinds of information. There is a quick way to do a GPS map that you can download a coordinate and it'll just print a kind of a dot matrix road number or a road light layout, but nothing like this. And ultimately, sure, we'd love to, one of the goals we have is to make an electronic tablet for the blind that could do graphics that you could feel and including maps. but. No, no technology today is ready for that yet, but ultimately I think it'd be great to be able to have some kind of tablet that you could zoom in and out of and, and actually feel raised images of a mountain range or a stream or whatever the case may be. That's way in the future, I think, right? I, I'm hoping not Maybe way not. in the future, but within five to ten years, I'm hoping, yeah, you know, realistically. I know that uh, Paul Paravano did talk to us about and he's a, a trustee with the National Braille Press, and he said he did use them years ago, and he spoke to Ruth uh, at, the, at the Princeton Braillist then, and, um, and asked, it, that was the other partner, I think, that Nancy had, and she, he went to Italy, and he said it, was, uh, it, was, it made a world of difference for him because they were so clearly marked and corresponding to where he wanted to go. And I just think it's, um, it's just fascinating, the high quality. And they started that in 1965. And, and it really was, as I think Jim said, it was a labor of love. Mm -hmm. But now the labor of love is with the National Braille Press. And uh, it's so great that you're marketing it. So how do people find out more about what you have to offer in the Princeton Braillist collection? And if they wanted to purchase it, how would they go about that? Well, our website is simple. It's uh, nbp.org for National Braille Press. And certainly can look right in our publication store and it, it'll be listed there. Um, or you could call directly. Some people want to just call a phone number, which is 617-266-6160, extension 520. Well, thank you very much. Uh, and I look forward to hearing about more wonderful, new, innovative things that you're doing in the future. Thank you for coming on today. Well, thanks for having thanks us. Thanks for having us. It's great. That's it with my interview from the National Braille Press. Now, up next, Two Minutes with Tom. Hey, Annie. Well, here we are with Two Minutes with Tom. This week, <laughs> we're going to talk about Rudy Giuliani's comments that truth isn't truth. What do you think about that? Uh, well, first of all, it was alternative facts with Kellyanne Conway. And now truth isn't truth with Rudy Giuliani. I, I really do believe he's lost his fastball. I think there's something wrong with Rudy Giuliani. I mean, when you, when you, as a former mayor, a former presidential candidate, can't really work your mind to a point with the words you want people to hear is an, an astonishing thing to me. So he, he, he talked over himself. He came back and tried to remedy the wrong a couple of uh, couple of minutes after the fact, a couple of hours after the fact, and a day after the fact. And every time he came back to try to explain what it was he was trying to say, it was more jumbled than it had been before. Um, so in, in a sense, I, I, I get a sense what he was trying to say is, look, you can have two, pe two sets of, of folks, two people, 
talking about the same issue, and his take may not be the very same as her take. Therefore, what he believes to be true and what she believes to be true may not be even close to being the same thing. But um, had he said it that way originally, he would not be in the dust-up that he's currently finding himself in right now. So it's unfortunate that it happened for him. But, you know, you have to, as a public, as a public uh, servant and a public individual, you have to really think about what it is you want to say and how you want to say it. Well, thanks, Tom. That's our show for this week. And if you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or anywhere else you subscribe to podcasts. And as always, check out our OA On Air Extras, which you can find on our website and on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening and see you next week.